0: Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. So let's dive into today's conversation, lessons from a storm. At one point or another, everyone will experience some kind of storm in their lives. Maybe you are going through one right now, and if you are I'm really sorry, and I have good news for you. So you're going to lean in and stay on until the end of this message. Uh, I want to start by telling you my own personal uh, storm story, all right? Uh, For those of you who have been in the church for a while, you have heard this story before, maybe many times. But since I have the microphone this morning, I'm going to tell you again. Uh, If you have the microphone, you can say whatever you want. So here it is, all right? Uh, When my wife and I first got married, like any other couples, we wanted to have children of our own. So we prayed and we tried to have a baby. Year one, no baby. Year two, no baby. Year three, no baby. And we thought, aha, God must have wanted us to learn patience. Maybe that's what it is. He wanted us to learn about patience. Okay, God, we we learn to be patient and we trust in your timing. Year four, no baby. Year five, no baby. Year six, year seven, year eight, year nine, year ten, no baby. Those ten years were some of the most difficult seasons in our lives, especially for my wife. Um, When someone in the church had a baby, people would come to us, people would come to my wife and said, and ask, when is your turn? When is your turn? Don't wait too long. When is your turn? They meant well, but my wife got hurt. She's not the crying type. If you know Hulda, my wife, you know she's not the crying type. But if every single time someone at church had a baby and people approach you, especially older people, usually because they care, they approach you and ask, When is your turn? Don't wait too long. When is your turn? Don't wait too long. Sometimes my wife would come home crying and would be crushed, right? I remember I went to one of the funerals and I approached one of those elderly people and I asked them, When is your turn? Don't wait too long. I know, I'm terrible, right? And I'm a pastor, and I'm a pastor. But, uh, but I didn't say it out loud. I thought it, see? I'm smart. Pastors have a lot of things in their mind that they can't say out loud just to let you know, right? I was actually okay for us not to have any children. I just thought, yeah, what a pity if this good look had to stop right here, right? It, it needs to perpetuate, you know? So, cut the long story short. Um, after 10 years of waiting, my wife became pregnant. And in January 2006, my son was born. For those of you who are new to church, I want to introduce to you my family. This is a photo of my family. That's, um, yeah, that's my wife, beautiful wife Hulda. I know, like all the men here, i married up first for sure. And that's my handsome son, Jaden, just like his dad. Very handsome. <laughs> All right. So, um, everyone will have, to, will, will have to go through a storm eventually. Somebody once said this, and I think it's true. In life, you are either heading into a storm, going through a storm, or coming out of a storm. In fact, someone is even more specific, saying... Every seven years, you will hit a major storm in your life. If you are not currently going through a storm, I hate to be the bearer of bad news to you, but you will, sooner or later, be heading toward a storm. Maybe it's a financial storm. Maybe it's a relationship storm. Maybe it's a health storm. Maybe it's a marriage storm. I don't know what that is. But eventually, every single person will have to go through some kind of storm in our life. That's why this series is so important. We need to know, we need to learn how to deal with the storms of life. And this morning, we're gonna be learning from a very famous person in the Bible, in the New Testament. His name is Paul. He's known as Saint Paul, or the Apostle Paul. And for those of you, again, who are new to the faith, let me explain to you who Paul is. Paul, uh, if you don't like Christians, you would love Paul because Paul used to hate, hate the Christians. He actually killed them, right? He ordered people to kill the Christians. And one day, on the road to Damascus, on the road to killing even more Christians, Paul met with the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus actually appeared to Paul, and from that encounter, Paul changed his life 180 degrees, and he started planting churches all across the Mediterranean world and planting churches even all the way to Europe. So in this story that we're about to read, it's recorded for us in the book of Acts, written by Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. If the Gospel of Luke is about the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the, the second act, the book of Acts, is actually about how the, the church was birthed. It's a it's story about how church started, all right? And in this uh, section in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27, we read about Paul who was taken on this journey uh, to Rome because he was about to be tried before Caesar. You see, what happened was a lot of the Jewish leaders accused Paul of doing a lot of offenses, a lot of wrong things. But Paul, he was smart because he was a Roman citizen. He could be tried before Caesar in Rome. So as a Roman citizen, uh, he exercised his right to want to be tried before Caesar in Rome instead. So we're going to pick up the story in Acts 27, starting from verse 1. I'm going to be reading a lot of verses, so please read along with me and follow along, all right? Uh, Chapter 27 of the book of Acts, starting from verse 1. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. That's where Rome is, obviously. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the imperial regiment. Uh, Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was Adramitium on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. The next day, when we docked at Sidon, Julius, that's the Roman guard, was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. Let me stop right here very quickly. As you notice, uh, there are a lot of details in this story. And for those of you who are investigating Christianity, maybe you think, uh, I don't know if Christianity is based on truth or whether it's based on myth. The details in the story should tell you that Christianity is based on historical accounts. You can check the geography. You can check the names of the people, the places, that everything is there. You can check it out. You don't have to just trust the Bible. Pick up any historical book around the first century, around that time. You will read the same names. You read the same places. And Luke was very careful in writing down the details so that you would believe what he wrote about. So let's continue. Verse 6. There at Myra, the commanding officer found an an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. Now, let me stop right here again. You got to understand, in those days, there's no such thing as passenger ship. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as Titanic. There's no such thing as the Royal Caribbean cruise. So if you want to go anywhere via using ship, you have to get on a cargo ship because that's the only kind there is. So this Egyptian officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria bound for Italy and put them on board. We had several days of slow sailing and after great difficulty, we finally neared Snyders. But the wind was against us, so we sailed across to Crete and along the sheltered coast of the island, past the Cape of Salmon. Next verse. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And so Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Man, he said. I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, the danger to our lives as well, you don't want that. But they didn't listen to Paul, all right? We read in the next verse, but the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. And since Fair Haven's was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. Now, before you get lost in the details of these places, I want to show you a map of Paul's journey to Rome, all right? And this is what happened. The journey started for Paul in uh, Caesarea to Sidon, and because they had faced strong headwind in verse 4, right, that we just read, we were told, they sailed north of Cyprus between the island of Cyprus and the mainland. That's why they had to make that, that long, longer way. They landed at Myra. That's where the commanding officer found that Egyptian ship, heading for Italy, and then they sailed to Fair Havens, which despite its name was not fair at all. The the sailors didn't like it at all, so the crew decided they wanted to go to Phoenix instead. And from there, they sailed to Malta. So it is in this journey from Phoenix to Malta that they were about to face the fiercest storm of their lives. Let's continue the story in verse 13. I hope you all get the idea of where we are right now, right? Verse 13, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. They, the light wind lulled them into thinking, ah, this is gonna be an easy trip. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete, but the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength called Northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind. So you know what they did? They gave up and let it run before the gale. They just lost control. They just That's it, there's nothing we could do. They just gave up and let the ship be tossed around by the gale. Let's continue. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Coda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard, the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sartis off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force, this is hectic, listen to this detail, all right? The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. Not only that, the following day, they even took some of the ship's gear The furnitures, the tables, the chairs, whatever they could throw overboard. They threw everything overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars. So they were in total darkness. They couldn't see anything until, look at the last sentence, until at last all hope was gone. Talk about hectic. They really literally thought they were going to die. They had lost all hope hope. And this is where I need to stop and learn the first lesson for all of us, right? And I think you already know this lesson, but it's a good reminder for all of us that God's calling doesn't always mean smooth sailing. Following God doesn't always mean life is going to be easy. Being obedient to God doesn't mean that life is just going to be a bed of roses for you. Look at Paul. He was in this ship battling the storm not because he was running away from god he was doing god's will why because if you read four chapters earlier in acts chapter 23 jesus actually appeared again before paul in a vision and jesus said to paul you have been a great witness for me in jerusalem now i want you to also go and preach the good news in rome and so paul was caught in this storm because he was following god's will but paul knew what a lot of Christians today don't understand, that following God's calling does not always mean smooth sailing. Alright? Some of you are struggling right now, and then you wonder if you are doing it right. Some of you are doing well, and you're believing that that's God's blessing for you. Let me tell you this morning, that's not always true, All right, That's bad theology. If you feel, if you believe that when your life is right, when your life is good, your life is smooth, that means you are in the will of God, that's not necessarily true. Some of you also assume that when you're having it rough, that means you're outside of God's will. That is not necessarily true either. Can I tell you that some blessings come from the devil and some trials can actually come from God? Some of you may I have been generous in giving to God, giving to church and your business is struggling and you wonder why, that's normal, right? Who's to say when you are generous to people that at automatically everything will be great for you? Some of you are serving and you're having conflict with the people that you serve with and you're wondering, are you doing it? Uh, are you doing the right thing in serving? Because if it's right, why am I having conflict with people who are serving with me? Let me tell you, that's normal. When you rub shoulder with people, when you share life together, there's bound to be some conflict because God's calling doesn't always mean smooth sailing. Maybe you're discipling people and and they're not growing, you know, like you wonder, I don't know if if I should be doing this. Let me tell you, don't quit, right? Because God's calling doesn't always mean smooth sailing. I love this quote from an American author by the name of John Shedd who says, The ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what ships are built for. Similarly, right, it is human nature for us to want to be safe in the harbor, but that's not what God has created you for. Do you know that God has created you to be out in the open sea with Him, to do the good works that He has prepared for you to do, even if it means that you have to face the storm in your life? That's probably why a lot of Christians, a lot of followers of Jesus, they don't want to do the will of God because they have, it means they may have to face the storm. So they choose to be safe in the harbour instead. That's fine, you can do that, but I'm telling you, you're going to reach the end of your life and you're going to be filled with regrets of what could have been, what you could have done for God, what you could have done with your money, what you could have done with your time, what you could have done with your talent. But instead, you chose to stay safe in the harbour. I have this false romantic idea about what ministry is like. I used to be a computer programmer in my previous life for many years. And I got, a, I, I got this call, this, 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 this desire to serve God full-time, and I believe it comes from God. And, and I had this unrealistic idea what, about what ministry is going to be like because I thought, wow, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great, right? What could be greater than serving God and working with the wonderful people of God? Boy, was I wrong. I am convinced that some of you Christians are double agents for the devil. You know, unfortunately, that is true. (laughs) Sorry, but, you know, uh, I I understand now that following God's will does not always mean that everything is going to be easy. And as I read the stories of people who've done great things for God, they also understood that doing God's calling does not also always necessarily means smooth sailing. Let me introduce you to this guy by the name of David Livingstone. David Livingstone was a medical missionary to Africa, right? In the first few years of his missions, guess what? He got mauled by a lion that left him literally permanently disabled for life. In In his 32 years of ministry in Africa, guess how many converts he had? One. Just one, Peter. Can you imagine? Starting a church, and for 32 years, you only have one member. That's what happened to David Livingston. But guess what? Because of his faithfulness, because of his life, he inspired so many other men and women of God to also want to be missionaries like David Livingston. And his famous quote, his famous saying is this, if you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. But I want men who will come if they know there is no road at all. Let me introduce you to another great man of God who also understood that God's calling doesn't always mean smooth sailing. His name is William Carey, right? He's known as the father of modern missions. He was a missionary to India. So if you see Christians in India right now, you can probably trace their faith route all the way back to William Carey. And William Carey, like David Livingston, had to face some unbelievable storm in his life. In his first seven years of ministry, he had zero convert. Uh, He lost his son and his wife went into depression and went into a worse and worse state of mental illness. Can you imagine that? When you are trying your very best to serve God and you have to deal with all this storm, personal storm in your life. His famous saying is, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. But William Carey and David Livingston are not the only two people who understand that God's calling doesn't always mean smooth sailing. We have a lot of living legends right now who believe the same. And one of them is our very own Pastor Gordon, who until recently was a a campus pastor in Baldyvis, and now Alistair is our location pastor. But Pastor Gordon has been my mentor for many, many years, and we discuss ministry a lot He too, like me, believed some of you Christians are double agents for the devil. In fact, his famous quote is this, Church would be great if it weren't for the people. No, he didn't really say that. I just put that. (laughs) Sorry, Pastor Gordon, if you're listening, uh, I put word in your mouth. But with that cheeky smile, he might have said it. I don't know. Uh, now nah, he loved people. But, you know, we talk a lot about ministry. And like I said before, we don't mind the long hours. We don't mind the sermon prep. We don't mind investing in people's lives. But it is exactly that. Sometimes when you deal with people, you can get hurt, right? When you invest so much in people and they turn their back on you and they, they left you and they accuse you or they misunderstood you, you know, it can get really, really difficult, really, really painful. But Pastor Gordon, like many other greats, will tell you, that it is worth it, right? It is worth it. Even though you have to face storms in your ministry, in your life, it is worth it to follow God. Let me tell you, I wouldn't do any other thing. It is such a privilege for me to be able to stand here and tell you about the love of God. It's a wonderful privilege and I wouldn't change it for the world. So, when you follow God's will, yes, you will face a storm, but you will also experience Him like you would never otherwise, because it is out in the open sea, when you, when you can experience God like you would never before, where you can see the, cre- the great Creator, the great Master at work as He navigates through the storm together with you. You cannot experience Him any other way unless you go out to the open sea with Him. So it's not a matter of whether or not we will face the storm. It's how we respond when we face the storm, right? We can't always control the storm, but we can always control how we respond to the storm. And it is in the response that will determine whether you're going to sink or swim. It is in the response that's going to determine whether you're going to survive or you're going to be broken by the storm. So for the remainder time that we have, I'm going to share with us four things that we can do when we face a storm in our lives, following what happened to Paul and the whole crew at that ship, all right? And this lesson can be found in the rest of the story. And the first lesson is found in verses 27 to 29. Let me read it for us. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm. 14th night! Can you imagine being in the storm for two weeks straight? As we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sent... Since that land was near, they dropped a weighted line and found that the water was about 120 feet deep. Again, talk about being specific. A little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So here's the first lesson, all right? They threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. They threw out four anchors and prayed. One of the things that you can do when facing the storm is to drop, anchor, and pray. To drop, anchor, and pray. Why do I mean by that? What is this anchor? Listen to the writer of Hebrews who explained it to us this way. This is beautiful. Hope, uh, sorry, God has given both His promises and His oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have a flat to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And listen to this, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Hope is an anchor for the soul. It is a hope that steadies the heart and calms the mind. But it is important for us to realize that an anchor is only as strong as Uh, as that to which it is attached, right? An anchor is only as strong as that to which it is attached. My question to you this morning is, where do you put your hope in? Where do you throw your anchor to? Some people put their hope, they throw their anchor to the government. Some people put their hope in the economy. Some people put their hope in their pastors. We are not reliable, right? Some people put their hope in their spouses, you know, as great as that may be, but you will be disappointed when you don't place your anchor in the strong, uh, attached to the to one that is really, really strong. So the only, I believe, the only immovable rock of ages is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, where you can throw your anchor and be absolutely confident that it will hold true, right? That's exactly what we got to do. When we are facing a storm, throw an anchor on Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Don't put your hope on any other thing. Put your hope in Jesus and pray. And tell Him about your storm. Uh, Someone once said that worry is talking to yourself about things that you cannot change. But prayer is talking to God about things that He can change. So why worry? Instead, pray. Throw your anchor on Jesus and start praying, start believing, start uh, having faith again that God is going to get you through this storm. So that's the first thing. Throw anchor and pray. The second thing we need to do in the midst of a storm is found in verses 33 to 37. Let me read it for us. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. I guess when you've been tossed around by the storm uh, for two weeks, you wouldn't feel like eating either. He said, please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, broke broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. The second thing you got to do when you are facing a storm is to force-feed yourself. Force-feed yourself. When you are facing the turbulence of a storm, you don't feel like eating. But do you know what is true in the physical realm? is also true in the spiritual realm. When you are facing a storm in your life, the last thing you want to do is to pray, right? The last thing you want to do is read your Bible. The last thing you want to do is go to church. The last thing you want to do is to meet people. Maybe you don't even trust God anymore. That's why you don't want to talk to Him anymore. That's why you don't want to read His Word anymore. You don't trust His people anymore. But guess what? I've been there myself. I've been through a storm and I decided that's it. That's it. I'm not going to talk to God anymore. I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going to do these things that I know I needed to do to strengthen my soul, to encourage my spirit again. And I got weaker and weaker and weaker. Just like Paul told us, everyone on board, hey, (laughs) if you want to survive, you got to eat. You cannot not eat. Spiritually speaking, when you are going through a storm, man, nobody can tell you what to do. You have to tell yourself, I need to eat. I need to pray. I need to continue to believe in the promises of God, in His Word. I need to keep reminding myself of what God has told me in His Word. I need to read His Word. I need to keep coming to church. I need to uh, not stop meeting God's people in a small group to encourage me, to, to remind me of, of, of God who will take me through this storm. It is important for us to force feed ourselves when we are going through a storm. Listen to what Jeremiah said. He had to face... A storm of his own. But he said this Your words are what sustain me. They are food to my hungry soul. They bring joy to my sorrowing heart and delight me. And also, listen to Job talk about the storm, right? Job, if you don't know anything about Job, he lost his children, he lost his uh, possessions, he lost his business, he lost everything. And yet, this is what Job said I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than. Daily food. Daily food is important. But Job, going through the biggest storm of his life, he realized, you know, eating is important to sustain me. But treasuring his word is even more important. So as hard as it is, as impossible as it may sound, when you are going through a storm, you got to force feed yourself. Nobody else can do it for you. And the third thing we need to do in a storm is found in verse 38. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. Now, you got to understand, this is a cargo ship, right? How do they get paid? They get paid by successfully delivering the cargo that is on board, correct? So, when they had to throw all this cargo <laughs> off the ship, even if they survive, they're not going to get paid. That's for sure. But when push comes to shove, When you are, you know, you are forced to face this tremendous storm in your life. You got to make a decision, and this is the third thing we got to do when we are facing a storm. That is, we have to lighten the ship, right? Storm has a unique way of clarifying things for us. Suddenly, we learn to prioritize, right? Suddenly, we learn to separate what is important and what is important. Suddenly. Willing to separate what is luxury and what is necessity. Maybe you're going through a financial storm and you're wondering, how can I get out of this financial storm? You need to decide what is luxury, what is necessity. Maybe you need to stop purchasing things that are not necessary, right? You need to lighten the ship. Some of you, maybe you're in a marriage storm. But don't apply it wrongly. Don't go home from church and say, I, I know what, exactly what I need to do. I need to go home and throw my husband overboard. You know, like, don't do that, all right? Don't do that. Uh, what it means is you need to, <laughs> you need to lighten the ship by, by recognizing, hey, what is it that's hindering this marriage from being harmonious? Maybe you need to throw away bitterness. Maybe you need to throw away unforgiveness, right? And build back trust again. Maybe that's what it means for you to lighten the ship, okay? Whatever you need to do, learn to prioritize. And I'm going to tell you, storm has a unique way of to enable us. Storm is a powerful catalyst for us to change our priority, to change our mindset, and it is important for us to lighten the ship when we are facing a storm, right? Ask God for wisdom. What it is that you need to lighten uh, your ship from, okay? That's the third thing. And finally, number four, Uh, we can and what we can and should do is found in verse 30 to 32. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes of the lifeboat, of the dinghy, and let it drift away. So the fourth thing you got to do when facing a storm according to Paul, is to stay on board, to stay on board, all right? In the chaos and uncertainty of the storm, the temptation for us is to jump ship. The temptation for us is to call it quit. The temptation may be really, really strong, but sometimes that's not what you must do. I know it can be really, really difficult. Sometimes the pain of the storm is so much, right? Right? that all you really want to do is calling it quit all you really want to do is to give up on your marriage to give up on your relationship to give up on your church to give up on whatever it is that's causing you the heartache as you face this storm all right so please stay on board uh, maybe you've been through a divorce and that's it. You said like that's it. I'm not going to have any relationship anymore. Well, let me tell you, stay on board. Stay on board. Keep trusting God. Keep trusting God. Maybe you're ready to call it quit uh, before it, before it's time. Don't abandon your marriage. Don't abandon the ship. Stay on board. Maybe you have conflict. You have issue with people in the church. Don't just quit and look for another church. Stay on board. When you stay planted in one place, that's where your roots will start to grow. But if you keep moving from one church to the next, to the next, to the next, you won't grow that way, all right? Sure, you're going to face storm. Wherever you go, you're going to face a storm. But the question is, what do you do when you face that storm? Some of you, you are ready to calling it quit on life. You said, that's it. No more. No more pain for me. I can't deal with this anymore. That's it. I'm calling it quit. Can I encourage you this morning? That's not God's plan for you. God knows exactly what you're going through. Let me tell you, God feels your pain. He knows what you're going through. I think He's as painful as you are, knowing what you are going through. Maybe more. God was in so much pain when he saw his only son being crucified on that cross. He could have done something, but he chose not to. Why? To accomplish a larger purpose, to save us from our sins. We don't always understand why God allowed the storm of life to happen to us. But we need to continue to trust him. We need to be humble enough to know that we don't have all the answer. But what we do know is this, that we have a God who cares for us. We have a God who loves us unconditionally. And God will make things right, if not in this world, in the world to come. That's God's guarantee for you and for me. So don't give up, right? Throw your anchor on Christ and pray. Lighten the load, okay? Force feed yourself. Continue to pray. Continue to read His Word. Continue to come to church. And then finally, stay on board. Stay faithful and God will reward your faithfulness, all right? God will help you. I know not every storm will end with a good ending, but in this case, what happened was in verse 44, everyone escaped safely to shore. I'm praying, I'm believing for you, whatever storm you're going through right now, that you too will escape safely to shore. There might be a bit of delay, You may have lost something along the way. Something might have been damaged along the way. But I'm believing for all of us this morning that we will escape safely to shore. Can we believe that together? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.